Welcome to Rates and Barrels, presented by Tops. Check out Tops Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Tops baseball cards. I am your reluctant host, Eno Saris. I'm not good at these hosting things, and I'm glad that Derek Van Riper will be done with his cross-country move soon. Uh, but I am doing my best, and to help me out here today is Matt Eddy from Baseball America. Thanks for coming on, Matt. Oh, hello, Eno. Yeah, it's great to be here. You guys, you and Derek have such great chemistry. Great podcast. Uh, thanks. Thanks for those kind words. Uh, Matt is in a league of mine, Devil's Rejects, um, and uh, so we may not uh, discuss any of our players. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, but uh, uh, we did uh, have a discussion here on um, Rates and Barrels. Uh, I don't like to think of myself as a take machine, but I guess I had a take, which was that um, that this sort of over-under-slot game that uh, teams are playing um, may have gone too far or uh, may not be getting them what, they, what they're hoping. Because my, my, my thinking was, if you look at a graph of... Um, you know, value uh, by pick slot, right? Like if you look at uh, outcomes by pick slot, basically the the, the top five are the best, (laughs) the the top 10 are pretty good, and then it's just a precipitous drop uh, to where you're kind of like, you hope one of those guys does something for you. Um, And so when I look at this year's draft, I was just sort of a little bit horrified uh, to see Pittsburgh go under slot at number one, because number one is traditionally the really uh, the one place where you can almost take a major leaguer. <laughs> like it's almost like it's more likely you take a major leaguer than not. And and that and that sort of ratio drops uh, off after that. So uh, I'm just looking at the draft tracker. Uh, you know, we had a little sort of a discussion about this, and so uh, I wanted to continue that because I'm just looking at the draft tracker. I don't. I. I this is more um, uh, yours, your realm than mine. But just looking at the draft tracker, Henry Davis, the catcher signed with Pittsburgh uh, for a million and a half, you know, almost two million under slot. Um, and then I also look at Colton Cowser signing with uh, Baltimore. Uh, at a sort of million plus under under uh, that does allow them to do things, um, you know, later on. But um, I, I just wonder that doesn't it isn't it silly to take maybe the fourth best guy at number one uh, so that you can get the 25th best guy at 32? Yeah, it, it, we see this in some of the drafts in the bonus pool era in which there is no clear number one overall. Uh-huh. I think you could have made a case. For Davis or for some of the high school shortstops. Um, who did you have number one? We had Jordan Lawler, who ended up going six to the Diamondbacks. We had him one, and we had Marcelo Mayer two, who ended up going four. So you can see that gives you a, a sense of how screwy the top of the board was. And, you know, what, what we kind of pull from that is that teams have studied the issue and determined that they're better off spreading the risk around. You know, uh-huh. I don't... He, you know, I, I agree more with your take. I haven't done the digging that the teams that are actually paying the players have uh-huh. done, but that to me is presumably what the Pirates opted to do. And they did secure three other high school players who were inside our top 40, the Baseball America top 40 draft prospects. And, that, so and they, they did that, that as, by, by going over slot on those guys. Yeah, they, they ended up having to pay the second, sub-second, and third rounder 
well above slot in order to make the money work. Uh, well, that's interesting. So I guess uh, it would be different if, say, Chipper Jones was in this draft or whatever, like these sort of consensus number ones that uh, you can see uh, from a mile away. Is that Was that not in this draft? That That is correct. We We didn't grade any player above, I think, a 65 future value in this draft. You know, so that's a, a very good major league player, occasional all-star, but not necessarily a franchise player. And, you know, it, it is rare in the baseball draft for a Bryce Harper or Steven Strasburg to be sitting there for the number one team to take. Probably the two best recent examples would be Adley Rutschman and Spencer Torkelson. Like, these no doubt number one overall guys. This draft didn't have that. All right. So you're, so now you're saying, Okay, uh, I'm not foregoing a number one. I'm sort of uh, taking from a group of number threes. Um, and mm-hmm. and I actually think this guy I'm taking at 25 might be top 10 in my in my estimation. Um, yeah, there, there definitely was. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you said top of- 40, but... Yeah, there was a lot of, yeah, I, I think it, it's spreading the risk around is probably a better way to look at it. You know, you're taking kind of a riskier gamble at number one with a catcher, but you're making up for it in volume, hmm. that, or so the theory goes. I don't know. To me, just the the elite performs so much better when you when you look backwards. Um But I suppose if, if you're not foregoing a true number one... um Maybe it makes sense. Uh, haven't the Orioles uh, now done this uh, a couple times? Correct. Yes, they did it last year when they took Heston Kerstad, number two overall. Um, yeah, it, it's it's harder for me to uh, figure out exactly what's going on there, if not just cost savings. Ah. Because you you did not see the Orioles sort of recouping that value as much uh, as the Pirates did with their with their later picks. Yeah, I know they did that last year. They ended up signing a lot of high school players above slot, um, you know, and they did that a little bit this year later on. But it doesn't seem like it was as concerted an effort to do so. Um, you know, and ironically, this is a time when the Orioles are getting more involved internationally after the previous <laughs> yeah, office regime. To, they used to <laughs> have the like previous... a whole anti-international <laughs> yeah. thing. Yeah, the Orioles would, you know, usually just stock their DSL team, the players released by other organizations. <laughs> so, <laughs> that doesn't seem but now like they're trying to be idea. players in that space. Yeah. <laughs> uh, have you seen, uh, the, has the Orioles farm system benefited from this underslot approach? Do you think it's, uh, has it, is it, is it getting to, like, to me, I would, as a noob, I would kind of be like, I would expect the Oriole system to be really good right now. It is strong. Yes. Um, they took Grayson Rodriguez, I think three drafts ago. He, he might be very... the best pitching prospect in baseball, him or Shane Baz or. Yeah. Those guys are in the discussion for sure. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a risk tolerance issue with, uh, Rodriguez, just given how, um, high school right-handers have traditionally done, but he's checked all the boxes so far. Uh, so their system is definitely improving, and I do, at the end of the day, I do have a lot of faith in Mike Elias and his yeah. ability to turn this organization around. Um, you know, player development's in good hands, uh, you know, in scouting. That, in good hands that brings up something that came up on on, uh, Wednesday, on Wednesday's Rates and Barrels, which was um, 
faith. Uh, I was thinking about this with regards to um, player development in Seattle and in uh, in Chicago for the White Sox. And, you know, from my contacts and from, you know, I'd say sort of chatter around the game, um, White Sox player development is lower tier. I'm trying to be nice, but uh, I would say <laughs> bottom tier, you know, like possibly bottom three. Um, and they're, they're making strides. I think there, there's been some improvement um, and they're trying to incorporate data and tech. But like uh, from the outside uh, looking in, it seems like uh, they have a lot of work to do. And Seattle, I think, is more well thought of, uh, at least on the pitching side. And the, and yet and yet. The White Sox are loaded with young talent. I mean, mm-hmm. they uh, they may not be doing great player development. Do you do you think the White Sox are just really good at scouting, or uh, or are we uh, sometimes from the outside looking in, just sort of taking uh, player development on faith, and uh, it's really hard to sort of judge player development, or both? Or do you have any, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think it's it's both. Uh, what the White Sox have done remarkably well that you hinted at is player development at the major league level. Mm. Like they get guys into Chicago and you know, it seems like they outperform expectations. Mm. Luis Robert, Nick Madrigal are great examples. Like even to smaller time uh, players like Gavin Sheets or or Jake Berger. I mean, these guys have come up and contributed, which is, you know, a testament to the the coaching and just the environment they have there. Was Luis not considered a, a top prospect? Was he not a big signing? No, he was. He was definitely a top prospect, but for him to to reach the majors and immediately impact, mm. I think, is a good sign. And the, and the upper edges of his uh, possible outcomes. I mean, there were other mm-hmm. outcomes where he strikes out too much and uh, doesn't walk at all and is kind of uh, like D, a three and D from basketball, a D, defense and power, and that's it. But he's been he's been more dynamic than that. Mm-hmm. And yes, absolutely. And then the pitching, I, you know, the pitching coaching, I think with Ethan Katz, I think you're right. I think uh, they've done a good job, uh, you know, tweaking Carlos Rodon's uh, delivery to get the most out of him. Uh, Giolito, they've they've done a lot of stuff that, uh, it, you know, it's kind of funny. You, you'll see some places where the major league pitching coaching is uh, demonstrably better, I think, than the minor league <laughs> pitching mm-hmm. coaching. Uh, I, you know where I think of? I think of Detroit because... These guys all came up with a certain arsenal and then uh, struggled. Uh, Scoobal and Mize come to uh, and and Manning. They've all struggled. Scoobal and Mize have come out the other side, looking almost completely different, right? <laughs> like Scoobal came up with like four seams and now is a sinker guy, or and uh, and Mize uh, came up as a sinker guy and now is a four seam slider guy. So it's like <laughs> uh, I, I look at that one and I say, I think you guys need to work on your on your player development, you know, down system. But uh, at least you got a good coach at the major league level. <laughs> and it always it always struck me as cruel and unusual to to pair these young pitchers still feeling their way through the major leagues with Will, with Wilson Ramos behind the plate. <laughs> you know, that always that always seemed like you know, the the, the less than optimal approach. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's the value of having a building block catcher. 
Uh, it'd be interesting mm-hmm. to watch what happens to catching. You know, it's also interesting to think that they 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 uh, the Pirates took a catcher number one in Henry Davis at a time when robo arms seem like they're about two to three years away. Do you uh, have any opinions about his um, uh, different facets behind the plate, like what he's strong at and what he's not strong at? Is he like not strong at framing and they didn't care? Yeah, I think that's absolutely correct. I think Henry Davis could be a model catcher for the new era, uh, the ABS era, because he does have big power and he does have a big arm, mm-hmm. but he's not as strong on some of the uh, you know framing and receiving aspects. So interesting, he, he could become the prototype for major league catcher. Yeah, the the, the last the, the interesting part is calling. But from what I gather, um, most games in college are called from the dugout. Mm-hmm. That's correct. Yes, uh, that's unfortunate to me because uh, you know, looking forward, calling is going to become more important uh, because because just if you take something out of a package of that's in there right now, like if you take framing out as a value, then all the other things that they the catcher can do become more valuable. So you mentioned yep. the arm and the power, uh, which I think yes, I think offense will become more valuable, but. Uh, they're still calling as this kind of black box uh, that we've seen some work on. Harry Pavlidis and Baseball Prospectus had a had a game calling number, but it's it's pretty tough to uh, to nail down because there's so many different variables. But yeah, um, but you're right. That, that is the big variable for catchers. Yeah. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24/7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com/credit-card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Well, um, and so, you know, I also wanted to uh, talk about this trade deadline, which is a a slightly different, a slightly different uh, group of players, of course. Uh, Now we're talking about people who are in systems already. Um, But um, my, uh, here we go, take machine again. Gosh. (laughs) Uh, My take on the deadline was actually that uh, everyone understands that it was active. And my take is not that it was active. My take is that it was active because prices dropped um over the course of the last five years or so i mean i'm thinking of the package that got chris sale um you know the the packages in the past that got cost controlled players uh that were you know kind of star level cost controlled players i think there was like a a top 25 prospect in those deals at least i mean juan mancata was like what top 10 i think at the time Mm -hmm. that he was dealt and he wasn't the only piece, but like that was—that's what—that's the foundational piece. Now you look at Joey Gallo going. What what was the uh, top-rated prospect that went back to Texas for Joey Gallo? 
Um, Ezekiel Duran, I believe. Mm-hmm. Him or Josh Smith. Barely you know. top 50? Yeah, no, not even top 100. Oh, not top 100 for you guys. Okay. No. I saw some chat or maybe BP was talking about uh, Duran might have might have scraped the top 50. But yeah, so not even top 100. You're talking about a, a year and a half of a... Uh, maybe he's not Chris Sale level. Uh, Trey Turner is, though. Okay, so Ruiz. He was the best prospect traded at the deadline, right? Yeah. And I you guys had so. him? Yeah, we can verify that. But yes, I believe that's the case. You guys had him around top... <laughs> Yeah, we, we had him in the vicinity of 25. Okay. Still, I would say uh, that's Scherzer and Turner. Right? So, yeah. like, that's a pretty big uh, deal that you're bringing in. And we've got a guy who's, you know, t- back in top 25, top 30. So, uh, I think the prices drop. But there's also a couple other things going on. Uh, there's an information gap because we didn't have a minor league season last year. Um, and then there was, like, real stratification, I think, in the market where um the buyers and sellers are pretty obvious uh there was like three or four teams that were kind of deciding what to do and everyone else was either a buyer or seller uh, but i wanted to sort of focus in on that prices dropping aspect if that's uh how you've seen uh the market kind of uh act in the last uh, few years yeah i think i think your observation is correct um BA's Kyle Glazer likes to comment that um, it's never been more affordable to buy a major league star. Yeah, you know, and and you brought, you brought up a good example um, in that. You know, and I think also what we saw this year is that with depressed revenues from the pandemic, I think money really talks. Mm. <laughs> you know, with with Jesus Lazardo going really just so long as as the uh, the Marlins would pick up the rest of Starling Marte's salary, yeah, you, know, you can have a potential future number two starter right <laughs> and then with the nationals trading turner who has a would have a high trade value on the open market you know but he's going to be an arb three player in the offseason so his salary is going to go up exponentially it just that limits the amount of tra- teams that that are going to buy that possibly would buy trade turner right that too yeah and it, it it probably was attractive to the nationals as they embark on this rebuild to say you know let's clear the books let's Clear way for a potential Soto extension. Especially with all the deferred money. Have you seen this? (laughs) They deferred all the money on like Strasburg and Scherzer and all that. So like they're going to have like $30 million of dead money on their their bill for like a while. Ouch. Okay. That adds further context. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Um, But, uh, you know, I... I, uh, it seems like it, it, I think that money was a big deal in San Diego, probably too. Um, where do you guys have Robert Hassel in the top one hundred context? Yeah, I would have to say off the top of my head, top fifty. Let me, let me okay. verify that. Uh, so he was dangling, dangling Robert Hassel, um, you know, AJ Preller in San Diego. From what I gather, he was dangling Robert Hassel, uh, but. What he really wanted was for Eric Hosmer's money to go away. <laughs> um, and so I think the idea was, you know, we just saw some of this uh, being reported uh, today or yesterday that um, there was almost a Rizzo for Hosmer deal. And mm. um, the idea would have been, uh, you know, the only construct that would have made sense for me is um, some real good prospect talent goes like better than what they got from the Yankees uh, for Rizzo because they'd also be taking on the Hosmer money 
And the reason that the Cubs would do that is that they have that money, actually, and would rather have a better prospect. And they still didn't do it. <laughs> That's how hard it is to move money. Because the Cubs, $18 million right now for the Cubs uh, for like three or four years, I don't think it actually matters. Like Hosmer could be a, a, an okay guy that you put out there. You're like, no, we have a major league first baseman, barely. Um, and, uh, and you, and you're not expected to kind of win in the next couple of years. I mean, I think he's like almost the uh, ideal tanking for his basement situation where you're like, you know, like our payroll's not that low, you know, <laughs> we're, we're, yeah. we're spending money. We acquired a guy, we acquired a guy at the deadline, Eric Hosmer, you know, leader. <laughs> yeah. That's a good point. Especially cause they prioritized the upside in, uh, in the other trade with the Mets to get Pete Armstrong. Yeah. Hassel, teaming in with Hassel would have been attractive to the future outlook uh, in some ways i'm surprised that didn't happen but i think it points to just how difficult it is to move money um i mean i you know like uh it's just you know 70 million i think that even will myers uh who only has like sort of like 25 million at the deadline only had 25 million left over like a year plus um that would have taken a, a pretty significant uh prospect so I don't know. I don't hate what the Padres did in the end. Uh, they were kind of like uh, just cautious buyers. You know, Daniel Hudson was a great rental buy. Uh, and Adam Frazier, they've got for next year and helps their depth and uh, helps them play <laughs> Osmer a little bit less, actually, in a weird way. Um, but, uh, you know, it was kind of a, a surprising uh, deadline. Uh, was there a... a um, is there a clear winner for you, uh, at least in terms of uh, acquiring prospects and um, clearing the decks? Was it was it Chicago? Uh, was there who, who who do you think did well really well in terms of goosing a rebuild and, and getting a lot of young talent back? Yeah, the Cubs did very well. I agree there. Uh, you know, the Nationals did well getting K. Bear Ruiz, Josiah Gray. You know, they're not elite prospects necessarily, but they are uh, will be fixtures for the team next time they're good, and they clearly prioritize that proximity value mm -hmm. because that national system is devoid. Otherwise, they have some recent draftees. That's it. Yeah, it's a uh, it's an interesting idea. I think sometimes when I look at the Rays, they seem to uh, trade for floor. Um, you think about like Mejia, I think even, uh, Meadows, uh, Glass now, like a lot of their trades, if you look at them, you're like, oh, they were like, you know, at the very least Glass now is a backhand starter for us. Like we see a backhand starter at the very least Meadows can start in our outfield at the very least Mejia is a backup catcher, you know? Um, and, uh, there is upside there, but I think that they often, uh, buy for floor if I kind of look at what the Cubs did versus what the Nationals did, there seems to be a little bit of a floor versus ceiling there where the Nationals are like, at least we got a guy who can just be our, our catcher. We think he'll, you know, he, we think we can, there's a lot to dream on there. Um, and Gray can, you know, at least be a starter for us. We don't know, you know, where he eventually slots in, but there's some upside, but we bought, we bought some floor. Uh, the Cubs bought a bunch of prospects. Uh, I mean, some of them are 17 and 18. Am I right? Like some of them, the guys that they got for Rizzo are super young. Uh, uh, yeah, Kevin Alcantara from the Yankees stands out as a as a young upside play. And then even uh, I get a gather from you, Pete Crow Armstrong uh, could go either way. Yeah, he's a, he's a good prospect. You know, he's he was injured early this year, shoulder injury, so he's out. 
And, you know, sometimes it takes time to recover. And some guys don't but, ever recover. I mean, like Profar was not the same guy after his shoulder injury. No, I agree. It is it is some risk, I think. But, you know, upside is gold glove, top of the order type of um, type of hitter, left-handed hitter who can run a little bit and hit a little bit mm. and defend. Um, would you, if you were running an organization, prioritize uh, floor or ceiling more? In the spot that the Cubs are in, probably ceiling. And, and probably just in general, ceiling. Is that because uh, the Cubs have money and are at the beginning of a rebuild and mm-hmm. so they can always supplement with free agents, but they just need uh, a couple stars to build around again? Yeah. And what we saw them do previously was really invest in young upside hitters and kind of they got really lucky with a lot of their pitching, their pro pitching acquisitions. Jake Arrieta, Kyle Hendricks mm-hmm. were not perceived as as future, you know, playoff starters, but the Cubs developed them into into such. And then they signed John Lester, and away they went. Right. Uh, the Rays' plan. I don't know. It's uh, do they draft differently than they trade? Like, do they dra- Like, do. I don't know. And I don't think it's totally fair to just say they're a floor uh, team either because Shane Baz has ridiculous ceiling and they, they got him in that deal, right? Like, like he was all ceiling at that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was in rookie ball at the point. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah uh, the Ray, like the Rays, you know, because they drafted the back of the first round, you know, they don't really have access necessarily to the highest hmm. perceived upside guys, but they, they do a pretty good job. Like this year, taking the the high school shortstop Carson Williams, twenty eighth overall, that's a nice nice upside play there. Do do uh, do do teams have sort of um, tendencies? Because I you know you're doing these mocks and stuff, and I, I I gather that like making a mock is uh you know asking around what you've heard, uh, but then is there like uh these teams tend to do certain things? I know that like uh high school arms. Right. That that was like a thing where uh, someone demonstrated in someone's front office at some point that uh, high school arms are the riskiest uh, group, probably, um, and and don't pan out most of the time. Um, are there there have been teams that just were like, you know, took that to heart and were like, yeah, OK, we're not drafting high school arms anymore until <laughs> like the seventh round or something. Are there uh, I who is it? Did the Angels take like seven straight pitchers? Uh, the Angels took all pitchers. Yeah. I think the Dodgers <laughs> took seven in a row to start the draft. <laughs> uh, is that like a normal Angels thing, or is that just this year? And like, how how many teams have like, oh yeah, the fill in the blank? They just drafted fill in the blank. Yeah, I think we do factor some of those preferences and tendencies into our mock drafts. I mean, it's 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 perhaps it's an unavoidable bias that does lead us astray sometimes, but. You kind of have to, you know, teams and scouting directors like who they like, and you have to pay attention to that. <laughs> uh, Does anything? Yeah, do it, any it, guys like thing, it, do any do any sort of tendencies occur to you when you as you sort of think about that? I know I'm putting you on a spot. This wasn't on the rundown. <laughs> <laughs> well, the Braves throughout their various regimes have favored high school pitchers more than other organizations on average. Um, Was Soroka a high school or Freed? Yeah, he was. Yeah, Soroka was a high school pitcher. Ian Anderson and Soroka were first round high school arms. Nice high school right handers. You know, among the riskiest demographic. Right. But the Braves, 
Yeah, we'll take Ian Anderson from upstate New York. We'll take him third overall. No problem. Interesting. <laughs> and then there are other teams that are that are like, no thanks. Yep. And and Anderson is to this point one of the best first rounders from that twenty seventeen draft. That draft was very similar to this one where it didn't have a clearly defined number one. That was the Hunter Green, Mackenzie Gore, uh Royce Lewis ended up being number one overall. But none of those guys was seen as um, you know, a future perennial all-star kind of guy. Hmm. Are you struggling to close deals? B2B selling is tougher than ever, and that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. LinkedIn Sales Navigator is a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, surface key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and shows you hidden allies so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash rates23. That's linkedin.com slash rates23 for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash rates23 and get started. So, uh, I believe, yeah, you guys just had a piece. I think Kyle wrote it um, about um, quality of play in the minor leagues. And uh, there was a couple uh, sort of statistical ways in of just, um, you know, fielding percentage, not maybe necessarily the best stat by itself, but as a league wide thing kind of, you know, gets gets you in there. Um, Walk rate, strikeout rate, sort of league wide trends are not positive uh, right now for the uh, for the minor leagues. And I think, of course, um, there's the missing season. Uh, so I would expect, I think pitchers to be ahead of hitters, uh, coming off a missing season. Pitchers can spend the whole off season honing their craft, shaping a pitch, uh, uh, adding velo, whatever it is. Hitters, uh, lose that time reacting to pitches, seeing different pitches. You know, the machine can do some stuff, but it can't do everything. Um, so I guess, um, I, I guess what I'm a little surprised is that uh, the 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 compression of the minor leagues, that the the cutting um, teams didn't uh, almost undo all of that missing time by, I would guess, dropping a lot of the uh, worst players and leaving behind better players. Um, but then there's like this third aspect which is just that housing has you know Britt just wrote about this housing has just been a real problem for minor leaguers right now because uh, i guess during covid you're not doing the uh the the family uh, host thing anymore uh and that was mm-hmm. like a real sort of gap filler for some people where uh yeah i'm not making any money but at least this really nice family is like feeding me and uh and putting me up and they're hoping i become like a major leaguer i guess um <laughs> but uh in any case uh I, there are probably some good players that are leaving baseball because they can't afford it um and i in a classic eno host style just rambled don't have a, a literal question for you but 
Um, what are your thoughts sort of on, on that issue? Yeah, you're right that some of those metrics are imperfect and kind of proxies of quality of play. I think the key was comparing it with the 2019 rates to mm-hmm. kind of see the degradation in the numbers that way. And um, and you watch minor league baseball. It's worse? Yeah, I mean, yeah. The, the scouts early on were, were very adamant that the hitters were very rusty. Uh-huh. You know, most, of, most of the hitters were not prepared mm-hmm. and for the reasons you cited. And I think um, the, you hear it. I think the Brewers manager, Craig Council, has commented as such that the quality of play at AAA is such that the gap between that and the majors mm-hmm. is wider than ever, you know. So I think and we, and we see that in the rookies coming up and, and struggling initially because they're missing a step. There's an intermediary step missing from their development mm-hmm. in a sense. And I don't know how much you guys have explored the, the quality of pitching at AAA, but you have not only more major league injuries forcing guys up, mm. but you also have the taxi squads depriving these AAA staff of yeah. quality arms. Yeah. So this all feeds into this dynamic that we have between AAA and the majors and thus Major League rookies, hitters in particular, square one. Yeah, and uh, it's gotten to the point, actually, where I, I was just discussing this with a Major League outfielder, uh, where he was like, he actually shared that uh, Glazer piece with me uh, and was like, this is what we were just talking about. Um, and he and he said, yeah, he said they're, they're, for, they're calling people up, just what you said, they're calling people up, they're not ready, uh, and mm-hmm. the injuries are a big part of it. Yeah. Uh, uh, it's a loaded question, but uh, do you think that um, reducing the size of the minor leagues was an unqualified bad thing? No, I think players will adapt, teams will adapt as they become more familiar with it. But by the same token, I it wouldn't shock me if there is like an intermediary short season league added or some sort of stratification of the existing rookie leagues where you have like a one league for because there's a missing level now right yes the whole short season they used to be new york penn northwest league that whole level doesn't exist um you could even argue that the appalachian and pioneer leagues which were rookie advanced quote unquote they no longer exist so therefore you have this this conglomerate called rookie and you go straight from there into low a and the problem think, is those know, are recently drafted people. So uh, yeah. some of them are 17 and some of them are 22 and some mm-hmm. of them are international and have never lived in America in the same way. And some are like that. That's why we had so many different rookie levels. It's like, yes. okay, you 21 year old college graduate, like you can go here and you 17 year old from the Dominican Republic, you can go here. And the demands that are asked of you in terms of travel and in terms of length of season and stuff are, are fairly different. Yeah, baseball's always going to have this issue because the entry method, it's for 16-year-olds, it's for 18-year-olds, it's for mm-hmm. up to like 22, 23. I mean, it's hard to square one system to fit all of those player types. I think over time, I think the vision is probably to make low A more of a Short a shorter season league that is the plan to make it fewer games, and also to kind of make it kind of a hybrid between low A and short season. I think it's kind of how it will settle. And aren't aren't teams really uh, using slash abusing complex ball? Um, you know, just sticking a lot more players there, and then uh, uh, kind of using that for players that would have maybe gone to short season. 
Well, there is certainly a competitive advantage to fielding more teams because you can sign more yeah. minor league contracts. Like, you know, you're not expecting every one of these guys to develop into Lottery something. tickets. So, in that sense, yes, there are uh, five organizations who are maxing out their rookie complex allowance, which is two domestic, two Dominican. That's that's the maximums you can have. Uh, yeah. Uh, am I saying it right then? Like in Arizona, that that's complex ball where like you're... Yes. Yeah, okay. But there's also... Yeah, under that, that umbrella is Florida, Arizona, Dominican Republic. Okay. And, but then there's also... Um, sort of unorganized complex ball like uh extended spring training or Mm -hmm. is that separate those are yeah those are players who are still under contract with the organization because you have those reserve roster spots via your number of rookie teams you have but they don't they they play organized ball but not the the stats don't we don't get their stats correct it's just like a yeah it's it's a glorified spring training for players who aren't ready for full season but they're all under the 180 player cap one, uh, I believe 180 pertains to full season only, or no? Or that's like, that is the... So there you go. That is the, the standard. There's and the you can loophole. add to that. There's the loophole. Expended spring training. Yeah, you, you can add to the 180 if you want to field additional rookie teams. Hmm. Um, I did have uh, some farm directors sort of telling me that they thought that expanded, expanded spring, extended spring training would be a bit of a loophole, a little gray area where people would just stash a bunch of players and uh, uh, that's where the extra talent would go um, in terms of uh, trying to stash lottery tickets and, and, and the like. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, I, I'm a little bit mixed because, you know, some of these guys, uh, all they need to do is eat and weight lift and get bigger and older and, you know, what I mean? <laughs> like uh, there's some 17 year olds that shouldn't be traveling for 180, 80 to 100 game season yet. You know what I mean? There's this there is this sort of uh, group of players that I'm like, yeah, you should probably just play at a complex where they they house you and feed you. Uh, but there's obviously also just this real gap in terms of housing and feeding people. Um, in the minor leagues that uh, needs to be figured out. That's why, in some ways, it could be better to have a smaller minor leagues, provided they they take right. advantage of that to raise the, the to 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 feed them, to to house them, to to pay them better, um, which some teams have and some teams haven't. I'd like to see more leadership from from baseball mm-hmm. on that issue. <laughs> I think is the softest <laughs> way I can say it. <laughs> uh, but in theory, you are correct. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, and and the, I mean, it is a pushback that sometimes we get when we when we discuss these things that like um, theoretically, like having a smaller minor leagues would allow them to do that. But it's it's theory, dude. It's not. It's just not how it has been in practice. Yes, the Giants and some other organizations have gone out there, but there's also like the Angels and the A's and the you know the teams that are skinflint down there. And and uh, I just feel badly for you know there was like a one of the details is like the bounce house where it's like this guy spent his whole uh, his whole bonus on a house that he filled with air mattresses so that his team could sleep somewhere. <laughs> it's just like sad funny <laughs> yeah that's that's the way it's always been in the minor leagues yeah. unfortunately and yeah. we'll see if the next decade brings any change yeah i hate that i hate i hate that that sort of that oh, that's how it's always been you know i'm not saying that's what you're saying it's just like 
you know, there is some people who are like, well, why should they have it any better than I did? That, I think that's why, I, I think that's why, honestly, the, the minor leaguers aren't covered by the MLBPA and, um, and why major leaguers don't care about minor leaguers. There's a sort of Horatio algorithm that I, that I hear that's like, well, I made it through that gauntlet. So, you know, they mm-hmm. have to, you know, no, no, <laughs> no, you don't have to pull up the ladder. <laughs> you know what I mean? like, yep. No, you, <laughs> you can, can help you- them. You can find that phenomenon on uh, any on Twitter very easily for yes. any, any area. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, oh my God! Don't start talking about white privilege. Oh God! I made it. Yeah, well, I'm <laughs> I'm a, I'm an immigrant. Uh, I had I had no uh, I had no furniture for three years in my in when we came to America. Uh, you know, my mom, I had a single mom who was, uh, who was like basically Ubering. She was a limbo driver Hmm. when we first came over. Uh, and yeah, I quote unquote made it, but, uh, that doesn't mean I didn't have some help along the way. Anyway, um, uh, I, this is the part, uh, where, uh, uh, I gain a competitive advantage by picking your brain about players (laughs) and devil's rejects. I know, but, uh, we are a fantasy podcast, so. Uh, I do want to ask you uh, uh, your perspective on some of those guys that we've talked a little bit about, but um, I also want to give you some floor, uh, uh, give you the floor at some point to uh, to maybe uh, throw some names out there. But early on, I wanted to talk about the major leaguers, uh, the new major leaguers, Toro, uh, Abraham Toro, uh, Kbert Ruiz, and Josiah Gray. Um, you know, we've got some early numbers on them, uh, and they're mixed. I would say they're mixed. Uh, Toro has been hitting for power, but the the sort of barrels, the underlying metrics, don't suggest that he's a, necessarily this kind of power hitter, or at least uh, they're not uh, definitive yet. Uh, Kybert Ruiz uh, should make a lot of contact, but there's what sort of power ceiling does he have? Uh, and then what is Gray? Is he a, a one, two, three, or four, you know? Uh, so that's that's three questions for you there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I would defer to you with the, the Toro, with the with the analysis of him with the major league data. You know, the, I mean, the one thing is he had that terrific 2019 season in the minors. You know, a little older player, but great year. You know, some demand on the trade market, it sounds like. So he's... He's an analytics darling, perhaps for some organizations. What was the what was the knock on him scouting wise? Yeah, un- a little unconventionality swing wise. Mm. You know, perhaps not a huge impact power. So for a guy who's limited to third and first, maybe even DH, you know, mm. not always the most desirable. But um, with with Ruiz and Gray, I think you would probably see a more gradual ramp up to them being fantasy relevant. I think. Um, starting catcher for Ruiz in a like a 15 teamish league is a reasonable outcome, and Gray probably more like a number three kind of starter potential. What are the flaws? I mean, uh, with Ruiz, it's actually kind of harder to see the flaws. Uh, sometimes you look at his minor league numbers and you're like, "Whoo, I'm excited!" So, uh, do you think he'll tap into more power, or do you think he'll settle in at sort of uh, you know 16 to 18 or you know something like that, maybe even less? Almost. Yeah, I think 16 to 18 is a reasonable upside for him. You know, he's a, I think his bat was described as a magic wand in the minor <laughs> leagues when he was. <laughs> I love those was, players, man. Hit tool. Yeah. Oh, God, I yeah. love hit tool. When he was tearing up the minors as a young player, he was very young, even at double A. I think that was kind of the, the rap. You know, like you would, um, 
I think Victor Martinez was dropped as a comp. I mean, there's some, mm. you've got a switch hitting Venezuelan catcher. So it's kind of maybe a little easy to go there. I don't know. I don't think he's going to have Ruiz or um, Martinez level power mm-hmm. or discipline, but I do think, you know, starting catcher is, is certainly a, a likely outcome. God, aren't comps just um, a morass? Isn't that just like a, <laughs> a way to get yourself in trouble? My God. Ah, uh, I don't know how many times an Asian pitcher has been comped to another Asian. You know, it's like every pitcher <laughs> that coming from Japan is either you Darvish or you know I mean? like uh it's it's terrible. I've done it too. Um <laughs> it's really hard to to undo. It's just it's like something your brain does. Um but uh uh with Gray, uh you know, and this is something that um I hate to be I don't want to be dogmatic. I always want to learn. Uh, but one thing that I, uh, like people ask me all the time, the stuff numbers, you know, um, and the one, the reason why I use them, I, I try not to have it be a crutch because there are players that succeed with lower stuff numbers. And I, I'm always like trying to research that and figure out why. Um, but, uh, oh, and a little teaser here for listeners. Uh, we've done the validation on stuff and it's pretty freaking exciting. Uh, so, uh, they're basically without doing any park factors, uh, without doing any regression, without doing anything that projections do, uh, pitching plus performs just as well as all the projections. So we're hoping a little bit more work under the hood. Uh, we'll be able to beat the existing projection systems. And then in season 400 pitches, they beat, start beating projections. So, hmm. uh, for starters and relievers, basically, uh, they start beating projections, uh, with like 50 pitches. So, um, stuff and, uh, and location plus are super valuable. Uh, and I hope as listeners, you've found them to be as well. Uh, but so the reason why, uh, other than this validation, the work that we've done, uh, that I like them so much is that I find fastball shape, super hard to scout. Uh, I look at, uh, Jesus Lizardo's fastball. I look at, uh, Julio Urias's fastball I look at Trevor Rogers' fastball. There's three lefties. They all throw 96. And if you plop me in front of them in the minor leagues, I'd be like, who, baby? I love these guys. You know what I mean? And I would not be able to necessarily differentiate with mine. Now, I'm not a scout. Uh, Do you find that uh, uh, difficult to, 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 to scout fastball shape uh, on that sort of granular level? What kind of it almost matters on a granular level. It seems to, because Luzardo's fastball has turned out to be, I would say almost like a 40, you know, and, uh, Urias is, is like a 60 plus, you know, and then Rogers is somewhere in between. Uh, yet when you sort of watch them, uh, at least on video, it's just kind of like, they're all pretty good. They all throw hard. <laughs> well, did, did you did you scout any of these guys coming up, or do you, do you, do any players come to mind when I talk about the difficulty of, of scouting fastball shape? No, I, I think you're, that is the kind of the next frontier with this. We it is difficult to scout without having the numbers for the minor leagues. We kind of have to rely on um, what, what sources are telling us there. Mm. Um, what are some of the what makes Gray's fastball shape imperfect by the the stuff number? Um, uh, it doesn't uh, it doesn't have great ride, uh, and it doesn't have uh, it doesn't it's not uh, it doesn't stand out in either direction. So it's a little bit just too close to average in terms of movement. Okay, right. 
Yeah, and, and we're seeing that in the draft a little bit. I think a pitcher like Ty Madden from Texas would have gone a lot higher 15 years ago in the draft because you have a six foot four pitcher who can dominate low in the zone, pitches 96, holds his velocity, mm-hmm. big physical right-handed pitcher. I think he would have been he would have been top of the board 15 years ago, but now we see the fastball shape concerns with him. Where did he go? Into the uh, 30-ish, mm-hmm. 31, that range. Yeah, you can kind of, uh, to some extent, use arm slot as a proxy, right? Like you can. Are there there are desired arm slots? Are there not? Yeah, I think. I mean, this this is more your territory than mine. But I'm but talking about scouting. Like there are there are like uh, you could like you could see a little bit of ride uh, and, and then if you see a little bit of ride and the guy is more over the top then you can kind of put that together and be like this is a riding fastball and this is a shape that people desire as opposed to i think of like sort of daniel lynch and um some lower slot guys that are more sinker heavy uh, there's been just a philosophical discussion i think about where to rate guys like that uh, just because we know that uh, front offices. And then I think it's fascinating because it fits in with pine tar because, <laughs> you know, uh, what if this guy's getting ride from pine tar, which is not really policed in college and high school um, exactly. <laughs> and will be policed in the major leagues. Um, and this is something that, is that you great- guys, I, I think this is a problem for you guys because you guys can't put in a public scouting report that, this guy's using pine tar. Right? Right. That would just be just awful. And and yet, you know, the, the teams are doing that. Because they have it is to. A, it is the great unanswered question about the amateur players now. Because um, everything trickles down from the majors. Yeah. It trickled down to the minors. It has trickled down to the amateur level. We know it, you know? Yeah. In fact, really when don't. I wrote about uh, spider tack, I got... Uh, I got... Uh, a feedback from someone who said, Oh yeah, my son's in, in division one. Um, and, and, uh, he's in the Northeast. So spider tech doesn't work in the Northeast cause it gets, it doesn't work when it's cold. So he uses something else. And I was just like, well, okay. <laughs> 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 nice but that just know. proves the point. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and this is not to criticize the amateur pitchers because I mean, the, the the benefit is so much greater than the cost. Why wouldn't you use it? I mean, they're not even, they're not policing it at your, at your level. No. You know? I mean, it's, it's literally millions of dollars in bonus money. Yeah. I mean, you know. yeah, the incentive is, is real. And we're actually seeing at the major league level that, uh, some spin rates are starting to re- recover. Um, oh. and I don't know if that's just, uh, you've seen some sweaty, sweaty pitchers out there. Um, I, I think there might be just, a. You know, I'm gonna touch my sweaty ass hair a lot before I get the rosin, uh, and see see how many RPM I can squeeze, literally squeeze out of my hair. <laughs> uh, I would have my old long hair if I was a pitcher for sure. Yeah, yeah, and that's a good point. the The trend is for more facial hair and for longer hair in major leagues. <laughs> yeah, people Especially also talk about pitchers. deception. Like I thought about it with like uh, Hater, and there's this guy Weems, Jordan Weems. Where like uh, when they pitch, like there's all this hair coming, like flapping around at the same time as the, their hand of the ball. 
Yeah. I, I had never made that connection before. Thank you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it was, I, I, I did a joke on Twitter where Jordan Weens came up. He's like a converted catcher. Uh, and, uh, but he has super long hair. And I was like, well, I don't know why this guy, this guy obviously never caught. He's obviously a pitcher. <laughs> <laughs> just look at his hair. Uh, but, uh, just to finish up, um, uh, just, I wanted to give you a little bit of the floor here to just sort of a general question. Uh, any prospects uh, that have caught your eye recently or that were traded that people aren't talking about? Uh, we do a prospect of the week here, so I'm giving you uh, <laughs> prospect of the week by Matt Eddy. There you go. You get a little, uh, you get a little serenade too. So, uh, who's the prospect of the week for you? Who's a who's a prospect that's that's on your mind? Well, I'm going to go a little under the radar and break your rule slightly. Um, two players I'm interested to see get some run are on the Nationals, uh, Carter Keboom at third base, Luis Garcia at second base. There you go. I think the the Nationals kind of clearing the decks for those two. I think that's good. I, I like I like both guys' offensive upside. Garcia was the youngest player in the major league last year, oh. which I think gets lost a little bit yeah. because it was a strange season. There was no lead-up, no, no minor league lead-up. Um, but I, I really like Garcia as a first division second baseman. And Keyboom is starting to take some better swings. He's got homers and you know X number of his last few games. I think he's starting to put it together after a couple of years of, of struggling. I like those two. Well, I yeah, I had Among, a question about those two real quick. Uh, mm-hmm. I love the plate discipline with Keyboom. I think that's mm-hmm. uh, that's kind of cool. Um, and I think he can maybe get back to his old contact rates. I think the question there is power. Actually, I think it's the same question with Garcia. So, you know, if you could do like a future. Uh, present future grade on the power like where would you sort of come in yeah not world beating i would say if you get if you get to 50 that would be a good spot for both you know present keyboom's a little bit behind probably yeah i would say so. maybe 40 50 um, versus 45 50 or something yeah i think that's reasonable garcia not, also not, steals a little bit you know for fantasy he might mm-hmm. he might run some it might run it might get you some bags but I just don't I don't see Kibo but Kibo might have slightly better average maybe yeah I think so when you factor in the discipline if he kind of gets gets everything going like the knock on him as a prospect was throwing so third base could be an issue mm. for him and might affect him at the plate if it, if it persists I did not know that also because neither one is a pure shortstop so it's kind of imperfect they got to play one at second and the other has to find somewhere else to play right. <laughs> and also the, the the organization does not seem to think that's going to work out is that a fair thing to say work out with what either of them they've had plenty of chances to give those guys jobs oh no I, I guess yeah, Garcia is younger than I thought but Keyboom's yeah, like, what is he, 24, 25? They, it seems like every year they're like, yeah, let's do something other than Keyboom. <laughs> uh, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah right. He definitely did. He did not earn the trust with his major league performance in 1920. That, that too, I guess, yeah. <laughs> but he's only 23. Okay, so all right. All right, younger than I thought. He, and then a couple of prospects I'm kind of keeping an eye on. And this is deep league. This is not go out and get these guys immediately. I like. We have some deep league listeners. I like Curtis Terry, first baseman with the Rangers, hmm. now that they've cleared some playing time there. There are scouts who are convinced that he's going to hit. Hmm. Uh, so we could be looking at 
50, 50 hit, 60 power upside. So that's exciting. More of a, a corner, I'm more of a corner infield kind of guy in a, in a deeper league, but. But I like, you know, one thing I like about him is I uh, read a piece by Levy Weaver about it, about just, he, he seems like plus makeup. Yes. In terms of like, and it's really hard to scout makeup, but I think it's really important too, because it's, it's like, there, there are people that are going to get the most out of whatever they've got. The Rangers love this guy for that reason. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's not super young for a prospect, uh, 24. But he's coming off of a 2019 season where he was at Class A. So, I mean, he missed a full year of upper-level development. Right. But he really hit well at AAA this year and has struggled initially at the Major League, predictably. But I do like his upside potential. And I would also mention um, Manuel Rodriguez of the Cubs, reliever. Um, David Ross has managed managed him to a, like a to the ninth inning spot in a couple of appearances recently. So there is, and he did get his first major league save the other night. So there is some upside there, save potential. You know, it's rare for a rookie to come in and be, you know, the guy mm-hmm. at closer, but just, just looking at the managing pattern, there could be something there. Sweet. Uh, where, where are you based? I live in Durham, North Carolina, ah. which is where BA has been located since the eighties. That's right. Since, um, Durham Bulls owner Miles Wolf bought the company, <laughs> relocated it from British Columbia. <laughs> That's right. Uh, yeah. And uh, and what uh, what parks do you get out to when you when you're out? Mostly Durham. We, you know, Zebulon is pretty close. It's outside of Raleigh. We lost our affiliated team in Burlington in the mm-hmm. Appalachian League. <laughs> uh, Greensboro is not too far. Those are those are our main. Proximity parks and who? who uh, what are they? Uh, who are they affiliated with? Well, the, the Durham is Rays, yeah, which is Rays, nice. Yeah. Zebulon is uh, Brewers. Greensboro is uh, Pirates. Do you notice anything about Brewers prospects when they come through? The Brewers player development is, I think, top notch and also does things differently. I don't know if that sort of filters down to uh, what you might notice, uh, you know, in a minor league game. No, what do you mean by uh, doing things differently? Uh, just when I was uh, talking to teams about who develops velocity well, the Brewers popped as a team that developed velocity well, and then also other teams said that they seemed to value slightly different shapes and uh, that they had uh, their own sort of unique uh, view on um, stuff, I guess, what makes what makes pitches good. And I think it's interesting when you think about it at the major league level, haters' fastball is... Uh, nearly unique uh if not unique woodruff's is 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 fairly strange where uh it doesn't pop by movement uh, but it has some interesting spin characteristics um and is kind of a sort of an in-between fastball um but he also was sitting 91 92 in mississippi state i think and is now uh sitting 96 said it was all uh, weighted balls when i talked to him at the at the all-star game but I just don't know if that would be just like super, it would be obvious with the a pitching staff coming through. No, I can't say that I have, but Woodruff is a tremendous development success story, yeah. as you mentioned. Like this guy, I forget what round he was, but. Well, Peralta's we looking like one too, and Burns. I, I, and hey, Burns, yeah. Which of the three was a, was a, a more of a scouting success story? Like uh, were I, any of them highly thought of in, in scouting terms? Um. Burns was a fourth-round pick from St. Mary's, 
I think he's. It's fair to say he exceeded expectations very quickly. Mm-hmm. But he was but well regarded cre- to go in the fourth, I guess. Yeah, but that could be a credit to what you're you're talking about. The Brewers' ingenuity could be behind that. As much there's as some major league difference too with the minor leagues. He came up one pitcher and then in the major leagues uh, switched up his pitching mix completely. So kind of interesting yeah. from that other discussion we were having. It, yeah, and Peralta was traded out of the Dominican Summer League, I believe, by the Mariners. So the Brewers were on him as a pro acquisition and were able to develop him. Yeah. One one sort of general thing that, that, that pops to me is just that um, starting pitching seems, it's almost like catching where it seems to take them a long time to develop. It's it, I think it's almost, I think you could almost just fade catching prospects and starting pitching prospects as a fantasy player because they just take forever, you know? And the ones that do make it, like the veterans, seem to have good value into their 30s. I mean, just look Mm -hmm. at Max Scherzer, how Justin Verlander was pitching. Like, the sort of elite guys uh, stick around. um, And uh, it's almost like everyone's Randy Johnson now. (laughs) <laughs> you know, it's like it takes a long time to get there and then is great for for a while um and so even on somebody like gray i'm just like i could see him being really good like three years from now but i'm not sure i want to be there for the whole way there a hundred percent agreement yeah <laughs> seems like they begin to peak around 25 ish and in a fantasy context I'm I'm fine paying up for these guys once they've established their ability. Yeah. <laughs> you kind of, you know, I'll pay for the freaks who can actually withstand the rigors of this job. Yeah. yeah. And I thought, I thought Gallon would be one of those guys. And I don't know if the jury's uh, decided yet on that. Uh, but it, it's, I was certainly surprised by the, uh, the injuries this year. Uh, Cause he's a guy with command, good velo, no bad. Uh, maybe did he have TJ in the minors? No, I don't think so. Yeah, I, I think, think he's a pretty clean, think, bill, of he's a clean bill of health guy. That's run into his first sort of uh, quote unquote lost season. I think I'm interested to see what he does next year. Yeah, he's, that's a great buy low. Like I, there was a great stat from 2020 where he and Shane Bieber, I think, were the only pitchers with four pitches with positive run values. But even Bieber took a while, right? Like you know, I mean, uh, I I just can't. No, it doesn't. Like there's no pitcher to me that like I guess Scherzer did sort of hit the ground running, but. But even early on, there were questions with him about whether delivery would hold or uh, if. Yeah, and he he went back to the minors at one point. Yeah, with the Tigers. Yeah. So I I don't know. Uh, I think starting pitching is really finicky. Finding that that balance of, and I think that's why the A's in the end, you know, trade Lazardo because they're like, I don't know, he could be a starting pitcher, but maybe it's going to be three years from now, and we just we may not have three years, especially in Oakland. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but spot on. Uh, it's been a total <laughs> pleasure having you on, Matt. And uh, thank you so much for your time. Uh, and uh, let's make a trade. No, I don't know. I don't, <laughs> you know what's happening in our in our league is interesting. Um, I think it's a terrible time to be a seller. I, I, you know, I would consider ourselves sellers, but sort of, you know, wanting to reload for next year because we've got a bit of a veteran squad. And I think with better health outcomes, we could be better off. Uh, you've been trying to sell. You've you've made some trades to sell. What have what have you? What are some of the trades you've made? Oh, let's see. Uh, the most recent one might not be a league winner. I traded David Fletcher for um, Bobby Bradley. All right. <laughs> uh, but for the most part, I've I've been targeting that was prospects floor like. for ceiling, I guess. Yeah, it's 
also buying myself a couple of years of youth. But the I, I've 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 felt like the prospect return on some of the selling deals has been underwhelming. Yes, the demand. To your point, the demand is low for. There are like three teams that might buy. We're all trying to talk to them, and yep. <laughs> uh, exactly, <laughs> and they they're sort of taking their pick out of you know what's the cheapest deal they can make. Uh, so I, in those situations, I kind of, my instinct is just be like, peace out, dude. I'm not going to take part in this. I'm, I guess I'm going to go like sift through some veterans and try to reload for next year and, uh, you know, sell when the time is right. But we also have Tom Trudor in our league who is just, uh, just constantly doing crazy things where I'm just like, most of the time I'm like, why did someone do that deal with him? And then every once in a while I'm like, why did he do that deal? But. Yeah, he's got to keep his quota for four, four <laughs> yeah. ads and one trade per week. <laughs> but uh, anyway, thanks, Don, for for uh, staying on with us, and uh, see you around uh, the internet. Thanks, Eno. My pleasure. Well, that'll wrap things up for us here on Rates and Barrels. Uh, right now, there's a fifty percent off. Uh, subscription deal if you'd like to read my pieces or Brits or DVRs Um, and uh, this is the place where I say thanks for listening